Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Felisco. And I'm your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in this week for your normal host, a ragtag band of youth podcasters who are not here this week because they have to go off and defend the youth podcasting title at the International Podcast Games. Phil is their coach, but was unable to attend due to a visa issue. Wow. <laughs> wow. I like them when they go really long. I like that when they it my favorite openings are when you keep going and they loop back around to being funny like they go long and then I'm like what's happening and then they keep going and then they come back I learned from the Simpsons they've started putting these on the wiki like Emily's introduction or whatever and like I they I just can imagine whoever does the wiki being like what the fuck is this this? (laughs) with us today Mo- maybe most importantly is uh, Justin Laura Koo, host of the Cows in the Field podcast, a podcast about the philosophy in film. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. Truly, thank, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Um, so I, uh, Emily, reached out to me, and Emily was like, "Justin and Laura want to come on the podcast, um, and they want to come on for the Mighty Ducks." <laughs> and I was like, "I'm in." Um, I knew at the, at that juncture, I did not know much about your podcast, but I knew that it had cows in the title Mm -hmm. and this has ducks in the title. Mm -hmm. So I just assumed that this was sort of an animal connection, but what made you guys want the mighty ducks? Mighty Ducks for me. I think I have to answer this question because yeah. Laura has. Laura I'm here for the ride. Laura doesn't care about. I'm this happy movie at for all. you. I mean, I watched <laughs> this movie when I was a kid. I mean, I was a little Canadian kid, and I just moved to the U.S. I played youth hockey. Th- this was like a, this was an important movie Values for me. A movie about you. 
Yeah, well, in some ways, not, not quite. I mean, I watched this movie, and all the parts with the kids I loved, mm-hmm. and the Gordon Bombay arc I could care less about. You fast-forwarded through those fast parts? Fast-forward yeah. through it. I watched this movie, you know, Reasonable. recently for the podcast, and mm-hmm. all the kids' stuff I wanted to fast-forward through, and the Gordon Bombay arc, I was like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> so, okay. It's perfect for a quadrant I, film. I think it's, I think it's interesting that... This movie, the success of this film, and Emily, I think you tweeted about this, perhaps about like it, it's it's bad news bears, yeah. but with kids and it's hockey, yeah. obviously, right? Yeah. Um. So there very much is that. Um. But and you kind of alluded to this, Justin. But there's just not a lot of hockey movies, if we're being completely honest. There are not a lot of hockey movies, and there certainly are not a lot of good hockey movies. Um. Part of it is because I don't actually think that hockey, uh, films well if we're being completely frank, like, I don't know that if anyone on this podcast has physically been to a hockey game, I'm assuming that you have Justin. I have. I have. Emily has as well. Randomly. Laura, have you been I to have hockey? too, actually. Hey, look <laughs> okay, at that. So Ain't it we've NHL all been to hockey games. and college. <laughs> <laughs> but like hockey, I would argue is one of the best live sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't translate well on television or in movies. Yeah, I, I like got really into hockey because I well, I, I thought I was going to get into hockey because I went to an NHL game here in L.A. I took a friend who's a big Edmonton Oilers fan. I took her nice. and she we watched the Kings play the Oilers. And she was mm-hmm. like, I was like, this is so good. And she was like, yeah, this is great. It's the best sport. And I tried to watch it on TV. It was bored stiff. It's just is there's yeah. something about live that doesn't. It's I mean, listen, uh, Justin, you mentioned you grew up in Calgary. You grew up in Canada or at least you spent eight years of your life in Canada. Yep. Um, I spent 25 years of my life in Toronto. Um, you can't really live in Canada and not have some sort of an affinity for hockey. It's tough. Totally. Um, so you do find a way to engage with it on television. And I do love watching it on TV, but it's something you have to work towards, I think. I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I I, I grew up going to games, so it was just inevitable that I was going to... And I grew up playing hockey, so that's another thing. I think if you play the sport, it's easier to watch it on totally. TV or whatever. And for me, the... Yeah, it was like a huge part of my life. I mean, I, I want to ask you about the same question, Phil, but I mean, I grew up... I was skating almost at the same time as uh, a little bit after I could walk, I was skating. And that was, I think, pretty standard for Canadian kids it was like you know you just get them on the ice and you know you get them out there and they're pushing buckets around or whatever and yeah so then when i moved to the u.s when i was eight i'm not a very athletic guy but i was able to, like i was better than a lot of the kids because i had just been playing hockey for a lot longer and so i played at the i played you know peewee or whatever hockey i mean there were different levels there's like squirt and midget or whatever all these different silly names for the for the different age groups but i played up through peewee and um and and i was able to play at like that triple a level at the level that like whatever the mighty ducks are and so it was really serious for me i don't know i i was and it was a big part of like my identity cuz as a canadian you just it's like infused it's like you've got three things right you've got tim hortons hockey and molson i think those are right those are or those the bad blues yeah <laughs> if you're not into timmy hoes in canada you've got problems yeah <laughs> i love tim hortons that's my canada thing that i like uh, <laughs> Tim Hortons and, and Phil. Oh, well, that's very kind Aww. of you. I, you know, I, I agree with everything you're saying, Justin, which is that at, at a very early age, they are putting skates on you and they are putting you out on the ice. Um, and there is a sort of a, a moment when you either take to it or you don't. Mm. And if you don't, 
then you don't. Yeah. And it just didn't for me. I, mm-hmm. I, I can skate not particularly well. My love for hockey is much more as a fan than it is of actually sort of being on the ice. Um, I, as I mentioned before, we were on mic, played a lot of NHL 94 on my Sega Genesis growing mm-hmm. up, um, loved, uh, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs were at least competitive during most of my adolescence and and uh, uh, film school years. The second I moved to LA, it seems like the wheels have come off the wagon, and they've basically not been competitive since. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it it is hard not to like the sport in Canada, and yet we have not won a cup in the entire country of Canada since 1993. So. Yeah. There you go. So I was. Is that true? Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. So I was in Calgary when they won the cup in whatever it was, 88 or whatever. And yeah. And, and I mean, that was really cool. It was really special. And, and then when we moved to Colorado, so we moved to Denver. And then very quickly after we moved, they got the Quebec Nordiques. They moved down and became the Colorado Avalanche and then won a couple cups during the time that we, and it was, we were there and it was like, it was special. And I think that plays a big part of it too. I think of like your, you know, regional sports fandom, I have my own issues with that now, but like at the time having a team to root for, I think I knew a lot of people in Colorado that were really into hockey in particular following the abs. And so I think that anyway, I think that plays more. And then when, you know, when you're in LA and you've got whatever you've got the Lakers, the Clippers, right? You've got you know the Raiders, whatever. You've got all these teams. Hockey is there, but it's it doesn't play as big of a role, I think, as as it does in some of you know, especially like places like Toronto or. I I completely agree with you, and yet nothing upsets me more than the fact that the state of California has three hockey teams, <laughs> two of which that have won the cup multiple yeah. times, and no one gives a shit. Like yeah. it's just infuriating. But if the you know, if the LA true. Kings win a Stanley Cup, we pretend to care about hockey for like three weeks, yeah. and then we forget three about it again. Yeah. Three hours, if that. They they barely <laughs> care. When the Ducks won, they brought the stanley cup to the newspaper i was working out at the time and i wanted to go and see it but it was there for a very slight window of time and i slept through it and then i was like it'll be back it's fine we'll catch it next year so you just you just alluded to something that i think we need to talk about for a second here which is that there is a professional nhl team named after the mighty ducks um the why not why not (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give you some reasons why not, Emily. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's we obs- we learned from the film that they are ferocious mm-hmm. animals. Yeah. <laughs> All the animals are afraid of them. I didn't know that. I learned some things I, from this. I'm film. not yeah. sure if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you should say I learned that. Um, but yes, yeah, continue. It's, it I, is. <laughs> it's amazing to me. There's a lot of sweaty things about this movie. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, I enjoyed this film, but. The reason this team is named the Mighty Ducks is because Gordon is trying to kiss the ass of his boss, whose last name is Ducksworth. So then he kind of twists himself into pretzels for these kids about why a duck is an animal worthy of being their mascot. Um, I also wish that the actual Mighty Ducks use the logo that these kids have on their jerseys because it is a crazy looking logo. I I actually okay, so so I actually have nostalgia for this movie for once on this <laughs> show. You know how do you remember like being in school and a teacher would throw a movie on because they mm-hmm. didn't want to do anything else? Yes. For some reason, 
our music teacher showed us the Mighty Ducks. He was like, I don't really want to teach you today. We're going to watch the Mighty Ducks. And so we watched the Mighty Ducks across like three class sessions, maybe two. And like when the when they say, well, have you ever seen anybody mess with a duck? Nobody messes with a duck. This like kid in the back said, I shot a duck yesterday. So like that's that's like my memory of this movie is it's people shooting ducks. I have many other memories, but that's sure. going to be for the Emily and Laura corner in a little bit. So, so um, I want to give a little bit of context on the Mighty Ducks for our listeners who might not have actually seen uh, the Mighty Ducks. Uh, after reckless young lawyer Gordon Bombay, played by Emilio Estevez, gets arrested for drunk driving, he must coach a kid's hockey team for his community service. Gordon has experience on the ice, but isn't eager to return to hockey, a point hit home by his tense dealings with his own former coach, Jack Riley. The reluctant Gordon eventually grows to appreciate his team, which includes promising young Charlie Conway, played by Joshua Jackson, and leads them to take on Riley's tough players. The Mighty Ducks opened on October 2nd, 1992, against The Last of the Mohicans, Mr. Baseball, Hero, and Sneakers. It would go on to make fifty. No, you forgot one. You forgot. Oh, right, sorry. And the Mighty Ducks. My apologies. It opened against the Mighty Ducks. It opened against the Mighty Ducks. Sorry, (laughs) I completely forgot. Uh, I would. It would go on to make fifty million dollars on a fourteen million dollar budget. It has twenty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, sixty five percent from audiences. Roger Ebert gave the film two stars and said the Mighty Ducks is the kind of movie that might have been written by a computer program. (laughs) It tells a story that has been told time and time and time and time again about the misfit coach who's handed a team of kids who are losers and turns them into winners while redeeming himself. It must be said that this movie is sweet and innocent, however, and that at a certain level, it might appeal to younger kids. I doubt if its ambitions reach much beyond that. I think that's a little harsh, but I also imagine if I was a film critic and I was subjected to many films of this nature, I might probably get a little bit frustrated. Um, so I, I want to ask you guys a question, and I did I did not know this. I, I don't know how deep, certainly how deep Laura's love for the Mighty Ducks is, but in terms of everybody else's, um, apparently the original premise of the Mighty Ducks was much darker with very little comedy about an ex-NHL player turned alcoholic who seeks revenge on his old coach by coaching opposite him. Uh, The main idea stayed when, uh, obviously, when Disney brought the rights to the movie, but some elements were changed, as you can imagine, such as Bombay is now a lawyer. He never played in the NHL. He must do community service for a DUI. uh, And including much more emphasis on comedy and downplaying the adult themes. The reason I bring this up is because his character is called Gordon Bombay because it's two gin brands, Gordon and Bombay Sapphire, (laughs) which is ridiculous. (laughs) Um, I, it also explains why I'm watching this movie just being like, that is a very strange last name for this guy. Like culturally, I was like, I don't really understand this. And then when it was uh, explained, I was like, I get it now. Yeah. Okay. I, I want. I think my name should be Gordon Bombay. Sure. I think, I, why not? Gordon Bombay. She. Her pronouns. That's. that's yeah. <laughs> I like. I was just like focusing on the wrong thing entirely because I was like, "Isn't his name Gordo in Saint Elmo's Fire?" No, it's Kirby. I'm sorry, it's Kirby. I had I to mean, look it up. Kind but, of the equivalent, though. Right. But I was like, "Wait, does he have like two Gordo characters?" And then I was just like off of my own tangent, thinking about Saint Elmo's Fire. <laughs> I will. I will say though. The fact that this role was originally offered to Charlie Sheen makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah it does. I'm glad Emilio got it, I would argue more it, sense. Well, but I love Emilio. I 
yeah, I you yes, I think you're right for this kind of smarmy character. Charlie Jean would have been great. Um, but I love it. Yeah, it's this. I guess ultimately, because Emily, you were texting me a little bit as you were watching this last night. Um, your your love is recorded in our text chain. Yeah. Um specifically for uh Coach Riley. You guys are happily married. I just um, I just I just want you to know right now what I'm doing, which is Roger Ebert saying that this movie feels like it was written by a computer. I am having chat GPT as we speak, write a movie about a group you. of kids podcasters that are like win, win the <laughs> podcast championship. And their coach is a is a DJ named Mike who got fired after he said an offensive comment on air. <laughs> I want I want to make this happen so badly. It's 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 fantastic. I I mean, I guess. My whole thing is that I think Emilio doesn't work for like the first 20 minutes of this movie. Mm. But once the turn happens and he becomes the good guy, I'm on board. Yeah. He, in fact, works so badly in the first 20 minutes of this film that I was like, this might be a rough ride. But then once the movie kind of finds its energy, ultimately the kids and that stuff all starts to really kind of click. I was like, okay, now, now I'm on board. Like now, now I'm in the pocket for this movie. The question ultimately would be Charlie Sheen would be great for the first 20 minutes, but I'm not sure I'd buy him as like a sweet father figure for the back half. Yeah. I mean, I guess he was on a sitcom for a really long time with a kid. I never watched any of it, but yeah, I don't want him around children. <laughs> I, I don't want him around people. That's just me. Do you remember when Two and a Half Men, the, the half man left Two and a Half Men, and they were like, what's a different yep. way to do a half man? And they cast Stamper Tamblin. It's like, a woman's a half man, right? And I was <laughs> like, this, is, this is provoking feelings in me. <laughs> um, in terms of other casting that almost happened for this film, Jake Gyllenhaal auditioned for the role of Charlie Conway, but his parents wouldn't let him do the movie. <laughs> So, so Joshua Jackson got the role, which I think is amazing. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio also auditioned for the role of Charlie Conway. Um, I love that Joshua Jackson beat out Jake Gyllenhaal and, and Leo for this role. Yeah, uh, in similar fashion, Juliette Lewis tried out for the part of Connie, but lost out to Marguerite Moreau, Emily's new oh. favorite. Hold on, I gotta make, I gotta change my background. Here. So We're gonna good. talk about Marguerite. Moreau. Okay, okay, I'm glad. Talk about I'm really good in this. How is not? She's so- how are they not talking about how beautiful she is in every scene? I'm glad she, they're not. I'm glad that they don't make yes. a big deal of the fact that there's girls in this team or whatever. But uh, like all I could think about for most of the scenes, sure. I was like, holy moly, that girl is beautiful. <laughs> I thought, th- I thought the, ex- I mean, without being obviously creepy about it, I did find myself being like, if I was one of these guys on this team, <laughs> you like hockey, what? I would not be focusing on hockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, she's spoken just, for. Just she's saying. with Guy. Yeah. She's, she's with Guy or Guy or whatever. Still, I think it's. I think she calls him Guy. Yeah. She okay. says, "I think Guy should take Gee. the shot." So it's Guy. I I have another question for you guys. Okay. Okay. Does anyone know what a cake eater is? I thought it was like the let them eat cake thing. The Marie. I thought it was just. <laughs> okay, Emily's laughing. At I me. have no like that's oh, as good right, an explanation laugh. as yeah. <laughs> No, I yeah, that's what yeah, it's it's I not far too. off though, just to be clear. <laughs> I thought it was like I, just I like, will explain what a cake eater is. Okay. I had thought it was Canada like somebody thing? so rich that like they didn't even understand what other people do you know, live their lives. So she's just like, let them eat cake. That's what I thought. It was it's you're 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 closer than you would think. Okay. Thank uh, you so much. The term is actually well known throughout Minnesota. And refers to people who live in the city of Adina, 
a suburb of Minneapolis. A cake eater is saying a person who is so rich they can have their cake and eat it too. It implies that the city wins so many tournaments, they always take the cake. One one of my best friends is from Medina. Should I start calling her a cake eater? Yeah, I think you yeah. absolutely see what happens. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm I'm excited now. I want to hear what what happens. I want to just think about this this other movie that could have been this like more this darker movie or whatever. I mean, would you guys have enjoyed watching? So, our, our, Emily likes Mighty Ducks. But uh, uh, to Phil and Laura, would you have been rather watched that movie, the dark movie where he is like seeking revenge no. on on Riley? No. No. Okay. No, because I want to be no. Okay. I, I want to be clear. Likes is a strong verb. Okay. I I um I had an intense Proustian sense memory inspired mm-hmm. by the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> okay. I say I liked it. However. I would totally watch a movie that's like just like a dark revenge saga against my favorite character, Coach Riley, and then like like Jake Gyllenhaal in full Nightcrawler mode is playing Charlie. I think that's <laughs> perfect. Sorry, I cut you off, Laura. No, it's fine. I just I don't. The thing about Nighty Ducks is I don't love sports movies. That's I sort see, of the I biggest see. thing for me is that I can't get like over like why people care so much about sports ball, and so well, what I <laughs> sports wanna... puck. So if there's no like children heart to this movie no i think i'm out what i'm what i'm unclear about with this 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 alternative script is like what's Mm -hmm. the arc so like is he gonna realize what does he does he realize that kids yeah like does he realize his his revenge quest was like misplaced or something like what 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 do we think like how does he well i'm not convinced there were kids in it i mean there's a part of me that wonders because i mean again i've not read the script i don't know but the the, it, it seems as though this is more about an NHL team of some sort. Oh, like, I wonder if these are oh. adult players. Now, again, I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and we have to remember, too, that like Disney in 92 is not Disney, right? Like we are just, you know, a mo- two movies away from Little Mermaid. They're just starting to to find their footing again. And on the live action side, Touchstone still exists. They're doing all sorts of weird shit like Disney's not Disney in the in the sense that we know it today. So them buying a script about a hockey player who wants to get revenge on his old coach, you know what I mean? Like I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know I do. Was. I do wonder if ninety two is the year Disney starts to become Disney though, because they have Aladdin, yes. yeah. which is huge. This yes. movie makes a, a tidy profit. Well. Sister Act is massive. Like there's all these movies that come out and just hit dead center. And they continued like like 1992 is a year that Disney keeps trying to recreate. They just keep rebooting everything from it endlessly. Yep. So, well, you know? I mean, Sister Act is is Touchstone. This is straight up Disney. So I do think that there's sure. a, I, I, for what it's worth. I, I, I do. Th- I agree with you, though, Emily, that this does feel kind of like a watershed moment for that company. Um, it just speaks to I mean, we don't know how long when that script was bought. We don't know how long it was in development for. Like, that, that's what I mean when I say like this you know, nega version of, of the Mighty Ducks could have been who knows what. I do I do wonder if there's a more straight Bad News Bears rip on. Because in Bad News yes. Bears, yes. Uh, the coach is kind of an asshole. He's kind of a drunk. He's kind of a scumbum. And he remains that way throughout the movie. The kids do like cause him to become slightly more responsible. But it's so much about the kids and adult like sparking each other to kind of be better by being worse. So like I wonder if if that's where they might have gone with this. Or 
it was just about like a man hunting down his youth. (laughs) Which listen, sounds great. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing about this movie that I, and I, and I kind of agree with, with Laura in the sense that the sports component of this movie doesn't feel particularly important to anyone. You know what I mean? Like the the sport is incidental. It doesn't it doesn't feel as though there's a passion for hockey that exists in this film, really. Um, it's an excuse to be able to sort of have a nice kind of heartfelt story at the center of it. Um, I remember this movie being a big deal. I remember this movie being especially for, you know, my friends. We were all 12 when this came out. So like it's right in the, you know, um, the sweet spot for us. But I don't really remember watching it back then is the weird thing like being from Canada and there was a hockey movie and yet I don't really remember watching it much I don't know what that says that is interesting. but I, I yeah. in terms of um Gordon's arc I kind of wanted to hone in on that for a second because it's a little weird and it does feel a little bit like the rewrites and the, you know, and sort of this weird kind of all over the place vibe. Cause like his character starts from a place of being, as you said, I'm like kind of this scum bum dick yuppie kind of lawyer type. Um, this movie also spends seven minutes before we are within the concept of like the setup for this movie is rapid. Yeah. <laughs> like they're yeah. just like, we do not care about any sort of, you know, latency we are in this movie so by seven minutes he's meeting these kids that's pretty nuts but it it does feel a little bit bumpy because we start in one place and we end with him getting on a bus to join the fucking minor leagues which is completely unmotivated really yeah like i don't feel the sense that gordon is dying to get back on get back on the ice and and take a professional run did you guys get that sense no i i, feel, I mean yeah i think that that yeah wait, you did <laughs> uh <laughs> Um, hmm. It's all there in the text. Well, I mean, and Mike Madonna yeah. offered it. You the, know? I mean, yeah, no, the, the arc of the the arc of Gordon Bombay in this film, it's it is weird because he has to come back. He he's looking he's a, a man in search of a father figure. So there's that dimension. But then he like learns yes, to become yes. a dad. That's the other thing. Okay, but then there's this other aspect of it, which is he gets through this Hans kind of magical you know, surrogate father relationship, which is like rekindling his love for the game of hockey, which I think like read charitably, that's basically like rekindling his love of life. I think that's like what it's supposed to be. It's like, he he's like lost like any joy in his life because of it's been like, you know, the only thing he loved was playing hockey that was beaten out of him by Riley when he failed uh, that. So then now he's just like, I'm this nihilist who goes around winning you know what What would be the ultimate nihilist to be a lawyer right obviously because that's somebody who just like yeah. takes any case and i'll get them off it's fine like it's that's how i that's how i roll i don't care about what's actually right you know if the guy's guilty or not i just get the guy off and and then he in the end he's like okay i've found a new meaning to my life what's weird though is then the movie is like has to tack on that it's not like his meaning in his life is i'm a basically a dad the meaning is like, now I'm going to be a hockey player again. And I, I was like, wait a second. Well, that's <laughs> it seems that's like totally the crazy part for me is that like, 
if the movie is about Gordon Bombay feeling abandoned by his father, he then abandons a kid at the end. Yes. <laughs> so has he learned nothing? He becomes a father figure to Joshua Jackson and then says, gotta go. Yep. Gotta go chase this dream. <laughs> it's like, listen, what? Justin, you're just a philosophy professor, so I'm not surprised you don't know this. But Phil, you are a screenwriter. I thought you would know Aristotelian you. dramatic structure, which always ends with <laughs> someone leaving to try out for the minor leagues of whatever they're into. <laughs> it is Aristotelian. Yes, that's right. It's just, it's very, I, I really felt like I understood this movie at a certain point, right? Like, everything's kind of going everybody you know they win the big thing they win the big game he gets the girl it's kind of weird that is that the kid sets them up but okay and it all works out and then he's like nah (laughs) ditch this down and then they try to kind of like round the edges off it with him being like but i'll be back next season right don't worry it's like "Mm, okay i mean i I, my reading of it because i was i was similarly like this makes this is absolutely totally unnecessary and so on but but my thinking on it was that the it's a kids film and mm-hmm. no kid wants the film to end with the guy just becomes a dad like that's fucking boring like i don't want it i don't want to just be a dad when i grow up i want to be a hockey player or i want to be whatever a firefighter or whatever so i think it was like sort of like he can't just end as a dad because you know that's not fulfilling the wishes of the child the child i don't viewer. disagree but i also feel like the obvious ending of this movie is like they're all on a you know a pond a skating pond they're all like playing hockey hockey, and we pull out and we're seeing him like on the sidelines or he's playing with them yeah and credits i don't i I don't know why (laughs) it's like you get to have your cake and eat it too you can have you can be a cake eater literally and you can like have it so I do wonder, it feels like a vestige of this earlier script. Like, it feels like a widow of this notion of, like, him getting another shot at it yeah. and him, like, you know, whatever. Um, it just doesn't feel like it's part of this movie. It's it's very odd. It's, but it's, then apparently D2, The yeah. Mighty Ducks 2, he it's it opens with him literally getting off of the Greyhound bus. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know. It's just completely, they just get rid of that. They're just like, well, screw that. He's back. (laughs) And now, because of course, that's how this has to end. Um, If the story goes on, it's him and Charlie. No one expected this thing to hit. No one expected this movie to work. Like, I don't think, no one expected this movie to make $50 million. They thought this thing was going to be a turd and it was just going to, you know, it was just going to, you know, limp its way through a theatrical run. And I mean, Emilio Estevez in interviews talks about how, like, he doesn't understand why people love this movie. Really? (laughs) Really? He's back though. That, for whatever they've yeah. got this TV show, I yeah. guess. On it, took, it got canceled, but yeah. Oh, sad. I, I didn't watch any of it, but he was back for that. Yeah. I don't know. It's like weirdly part of his legacy now. But he doesn't. Yeah. He, he's just like it I was, don't got it. So, <laughs> he's like, please see my work in Saint Elmo's Fire. Sorry, Laura, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just joking about Saint Elmo's Fire again. I'll stop. <laughs> nope, don't. I love that movie. Double it. <laughs> I um, I feel like. Things got a little witchy on the show because Lauren Graham was the lead and um, his character was brought in on some sort of a um, recurring character type situation. And then there was kind of this weird anti-vax situation with Emilio Estevez. I'm not saying he's an anti-vaxxer necessarily, but there was like this kind of thing where he didn't want, I don't know. There was, there was, 
there was some sort of a weird because like he got called out for it and then he felt like he needed to like say no 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 it's just like i just don't really the show doesn't really fit what i want to be doing with my career or something like that and it all got weird but there was kind of an anti-vax moment for uh for what he wants to be doing with his career is not getting vaccinated (laughs) (laughs) emily said it not me i have no idea i don't know any hollywood gossip It, listen, I, I I think that the show people liked the show. I had a friend who really liked the show. I don't know. I so I want to sort of talk for a second about how this film opens. So this movie opens with a very dramatic score over credits. Um, some might say too dramatic. Um, and we get this immediate sort of flashback of Gordon shooting a penalty shot that he misses um and weirdly so he misses the penalty shot but then it goes to overtime and they lose in overtime so he blames himself for not having secured the victory with the penalty shot but what's weird is that generally speaking you do a period of overtime and then you do penalty shots or was this not a shootout situation? This was, he got tripped or something and thus he got a penalty shot and he missed it. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Which is All the same that thing that happens said. with Conway. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, so this flashback sequence is uh, executed in an interesting fashion mm-hmm. in the sense that uh, it seems like there's no one in this rink. We're shrouded in darkness mm-hmm. It and and we have this very kind of hot overlit overhead lighting. Um, the director of photography of this movie is Thomas DeRuth, and any West Wing fans out there will know that he shot all the episodes of The West Wing. Oh, um, he likes diffusion. Okay, Robert Richardson, who shot The American President, loves to do that hot overhead mm-hmm. lighting. Yeah, that's so all I sense. think it's kind of funny we had this kind of connection. But sorry, Laura, what was that? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just saying that all makes sense. That I'm like now thinking of scenes of West Wing in my head. <laughs> yep. So it it all kind of starts from a place where I was like, oh, this might have like an interesting visual style to it, and then no, it just it made <laughs> it made me think of the dream ballet boxing match from Creed three. I don't know if anybody here. Has yes, seen yes, yes, three, yes. Creed, I have. Creed yes, three. yeah, sure. But sure. it's like this very representational. Yes. It's a memory play version of this, like this looms so large in Gordon's memory and it's yep. been boiled down to just a few things. And yeah, it feels like it's going to be more of a visually stylish movie than it is when most of it's just like kids running around a mall and farting. Like, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like your movie though. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it was just, I, I agree with you. Um, Emily, that we're supposed to feel as though we're in a memory inside his head and there's kind of this tunnel vision going on and all that sort of stuff. Um, So he misses this shot and it fucks him up. (laughs) Like, real bad. (laughs) Like, 20 some odd years later, he's still living this memory. Yeah. Okay, I want us to go around the horn and just what's mm. the one thing that happened to you when you were a child that so scarred you that you've lost all sense of value and ethics and now like have the <laughs> career that you have? Uh, for me, um, yeah. it was that I saw the Mighty Ducks. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of. I mean, I don't. I don't know that there's a memory that scarred me so deeply that it fucked up my my moral compass and that I can't. Mm. 
that can function. But one of my earliest memories um, and, and perhaps sparked the deep well of anxiety that I live in every day, if that is what you're looking for, Emily, mm-hmm. um, is um, I remember, I think I was like three or four and I went to a McDonald's with my mom and uh, you know, the, the, the big ball pit that, that they have at various McDonald's. I'm assuming you guys know what I'm talking about. Of course. Um, so I, I fell into this ball pit. Oh no. But it was so deep that I like essentially just like drowned and just like <clears throat> fell to the bottom of the ball pit. Mm-hmm. And- <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think you expected a real answer to this question. Did you? Okay. <laughs> I'm horrified. And that's why you. I co-created Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> so I I vividly, even today, can still see my mother diving into the ball pit and like fishing me out from the bottom of the ball pit um, as I screamed from the bottom of the ball pit so yeah that 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 that, that stayed with me you know i actually do have an answer to this question that's not a joke (laughs) which is when i was in the fifth grade my parents sent me to uh uh, there was a basketball camp in my little town that ran every afternoon for a week and it was run by kind of a hometown hero he'd been on the teams that won the the state championship a few years back in like the 70s or 80s or something he was the brother of the coach he had played like minor league basketball he he mm-hmm. almost made it to the nba a few times it never happened so he's like this hometown hero guy he comes back with some of his friends who also were like almost in the nba and they have this basketball camp and my parents were desperately trying to masculinize me for some reason and uh the uh the camp i was not an athletic child surprisingly <laughs> the camp did not go well for me one day we were all doing something and we really displeased this nba guy who this almost nba guy i don't know why i should be so like why i should be so reverent of him he never made the nba the fucker <laughs> but um we were uh supposed to run back to him he was like let's do a fast dribble back and all i heard was dribble so i just walked very slowly and like bounced the ball very high <laughs> and like was walking back and then he said fast dribble and i still didn't quite hear him so i just like kind of like started moseying back and forth and like and then one of the other guys said that was the slowest fast dribble i've ever seen <laughs> here have a free ice cream cone because they had little prizes. So they gave me a a thing for a McDonald's ice cream cone. And like the other guys were like, no, don't do that. Don't mock this poor child. But I took it and I got that free ice cream cone and I learned all the wrong lessons. from it. So um, (laughs) that's my story. That is an actual story from my life in which I I learned learned all the right lessons. (laughs) It feels feels like you learned exactly what you should have learned. You have a very healthy relationship to that story there, Emily. (laughs) Um, no, I don't have a story Do you like guys have this. Sports stories? I, no, I don't. I mean, I played hockey, but I'm trying to. I was trying to remember if there were any incidents where you know I like had some important thing task, and I just. I mean, one of the things about hockey that makes this tricky is that unlike basketball, baseball, and and you know a lot of other mm-hmm. sports like this, where there's you know the guy, one guy takes the shot, uh, or one guy's at bat. There are very few opportunities in hockey where a single person 
is singled out in this way to sort of hold everything on their shoulders. The penalty shot slash the shootout is basically it because otherwise it's such a team sport. It's so much, you know, you, you can't really blame a loss or a win, you know, or reward a win on just one guy. It's always, you know, the the contributions of a bunch of different people. So that's, I think partly why they have gone to that penalty shot thing which is also incredibly rare sure. uh, it doesn't happen very much in in hockey but it's also it's like the most dramatic moment that you can get in a hockey game um absolutely uh, but yeah anyway i never had to do any big penalty shots i mean i know the moment that i decided you, i'm sports are not for me and the map moment was so i was in fourth grade on a ymca basketball team and i was short so they made me the point guard which sucks because i was very bad at basketball and that's kind of an important role don't make me do that. But um, so you know how you guys know because you're not dummy dum-dums. But apparently at halftime, you switch directions. You switch hoops. <laughs> but I forgot. I had been playing, but I just forgot. And so I start going the wrong way. And like people kind of like all the like it's just parents in the audience, you know, but everybody's kind of like half laughing, half feeling terrible for me. And I, I swear I like saw the look of disappointment in my dad's eyes. I like it just like <laughs> humiliation where he was just like, Oh my God, that's my kid. And I was like, why don't I just do musical theater? I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> That's what I thought. Did they give you an ice cream cone? <laughs> they did, did you not. At least... Not a single one. <laughs> that sucks. That sucks. I uh, There was another time when I was playing basketball and my shorts were too big, but I didn't know how to get the, you know, to do the drawstring to get mm-hmm. them shorter. So I just held them up the whole time and ran back and forth <laughs> holding my shorts up. Wow. Wow. This is really, a good podcast. This is a good <laughs> podcast. So I, I, I do need to ask. Um. Is this because this is kind of a trope of movies of this ilk? The community service where you have to teach a bunch of kids a sport mm-hmm. is that has that ever been a thing? It's totally standard. I'm a I'm a lawyer. <laughs> but the thing that I was confused about was we, we rewatched this part because I I was confused on the score. So. Yeah. At, in the courtroom, the judge is threatening him with a ticket, or sorry, a fine Correct. and suspension yeah. of his license. What he ends, what his boss, Ducksworth, gets him out of, I think is just the fine and he replaces right. it with probation, but he makes it seem like this is some like huge favor he's doing him. Um, I might have just taken the fine. I and mean, this guy's a hotshot lawyer. Why just take the fine? You, his license is suspended either way. He has to be driven around by MC Keynes. Yeah, he gets driven around by Mr. Friendly from Lost. Like, I think just, yeah, just pay the fine. It's fine. It, it does make me very sort of confused as to what Ducksworth's sort of goal is, like what mm-hmm. his end game is, <laughs> because his character does all sorts of things. I mean, he's really kind of a skeleton key for whatever the fuck they want him to do for the plot of this movie to keep moving forward. But it's sort of like... Why, why do you want to take your hotshot lawyer off the bench, right? Like, or, or like off your team, off yeah. the, you know, whatever, off the table. Um, why do you give a shit about this hockey team? Um, and then when sort of there's this weird kind of moment halfway through where, believe it or not, district lines come into play mm-hmm. and which players are allowed to be on which team. I fucking love that, though. Okay. Like, loved... When it turned out that the secret weapon he needed to do peewee hockey was the law. Yeah. Like, it was gerrymandering? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
top notch. So yeah, I and then Ducksworth is on the side of the bad guys, yeah. and like then he fires him. It's all this kind of weird shit. Where I'm like, Ducksworth, do you like care about your firm like actually running properly? I don't. It's I don't very care. strange because Ducksworth starts out seeming like he's a nurturing good boss. He's like yeah. he's worried his employee is going to have burnout, and then he fires him. Like it, 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 it's such a heel turn. I mean, I have an explanation for this. I don't okay. know if the time is now. But I wanted, I wanted to, it, it requires me to give a Marxist reading of the film. Oh, so. Pete's oh sakes. my. Okay. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> this is For what you get when you get cows in the field. I mean, when you field. bring on cows in the field, I was thinking about it. I was like, is there anything interesting to say about this film? Oh, no. And I was thinking, okay, here's one thought. So, okay. first of all, Riley, bad, Bombay, good. Or maybe Riley is just the pure distillation of capitalism so in fact he just yes. shows you what capitalism is it's just pure you know um com- competition win at all cost mm-hmm. what is bombay then bombay is the ideology that hides capitalism by making it seem like what we need to do is to just have fun but have fun within a system which is ultimately exploiting us because we're all playing this game this competitive game and so what I think Ducksworth is doing is this the same thing. So Ducksworth is basically he sees his I employees wish you could all about see Laura's face right yeah. now. He's, okay. Ducksworth sees his employee is about to burn out, right? He's about to basically <laughs> realize that the capitalist system is not working in his favor. So what he does is he's like, okay, I gotta keep this guy energized, keep him part of the system. So I'm gonna give him a little break, right? I'm gonna give him that time so that he can realize there are other things in life worth, you know, worth in quotes, because there really isn't anything else of value but he could think they're things of value and then he could come back and be again what ultimately what Ducksworth wants is just to be a productive capitalist worker just be a more productive worker in his workforce and so I was thinking that's that one if you're a Marxist you could just think of this film basically as Bombay is actually the bad guy right he just represents the sort of ideology that keeps us working against ourselves within a system that's designed to exploit us Right. Well, okay. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna I, run I buy with it. This. Yep. I'm gonna run with this for a second. I do wonder because part of me feels like Bombay is socialism in this in this theory. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's the one who's trying to kind of break this system. Right. Like he's actually progressive. It seems until I guess he. This is why the ending makes even less sense yeah are the are, are the are the mighty ducks themselves the proletariat is that what we're driving <laughs> yes i so, feel like they are yes. i think i i think i'm yeah. picking up what you're putting you're getting it you're getting it the proletariat's always putting poo in a purse and but, hoping somebody's uh, gonna find but it but see that the the analysis is is Ugh. it's one more step removed which is that he bombay appears to be a socialist right but he really isn't he's still working within the system the game of hockey is the system okay. it's still okay. a competitive game to actually break that system you would have to actually break out of the you know you would basically just refuse to play hockey that would be the like way of breaking out of the capitalist system so i was sort of thinking here's the analogy it's it's laura's got a finger <laughs> but here's the analogy so john maynard Keynes, his view about so he's the representation of Bombay in this in this situation because Keynes's view about capitalism is that we have, ought to have a regulated market because if you don't have a regulated market, then you'll get you'll get way too much wealth inequality, and then the people at the bottom will realize, oh, this is a fucked up system, and they'll revolt. 
So Keynes was thinking, well, what you should do is you should have some kind of progressive regulated capitalism in order to preserve capitalism itself. That was the goal. It wasn't to like, you know, have, ta- you know, taxation on the wealthy to like be mm-hmm. socialist. It's actually to prevent the underclass from realizing that they're being exploited and rise up against the overclass. Sorry, Laura has a comment. Well, I just, I just want to jump in very quickly <laughs> and just say that I can't wait to write the tweet about this episode when I get to say, <laughs> guys, this week we talk about the Mighty Ducks and Marxism. <laughs> um, yeah, my theory was just that he doesn't like Gordon Bombay. The Ducksworth? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hear me or, out. Or this. In the very beginning, he's like, hey, why don't you just like fuck off and hang out and like do some community service because I can't stand you. You're like, I'm, like, yes, he's a hotshot lawyer and he wins a lot, but he's annoying everybody. The first two scenes, you just, you see him interacting with two women in the firm yeah. who are like, we hate you. And he probably hates them. And he's like, hey, why don't you just like go chill and like, hopefully this will like make you just be a little bit less of a blowhard. But it went yeah. wrong for yeah. him because then he went so into it and got so into the ducks and he came back and he's like, I'm taking a stance. And he's like freaking out in his office. He's like, those are the bad guys guys you can't make deals with the bad guys and, and ducksworth is just like you're still a blowhard just now in the making my life harder so i fire you well, why did he fire it's him all completely consistent to me why not just fire him at the beginning well he plays he wins a lot of he wins him a lot of cases until he starts getting in his way for his clients and mm. then he fires him i think it's completely consistent but are they his clients i'm not even convinced that i i, I, I don't even he, understand ducksworth's relationship to the two bad guys yeah to riley I, and I thought one of them was a Banks, client. I believe Banks's dad is a longtime client. Right. That's oh, that's okay. what I think. But I, I just think that Ducksworth is a really poorly written character, ultimately. <laughs> and his allegiance what? seems just just really wishy washy to How me. How dare you? I you think a I, character in the Mighty Ducks is poorly written and like I, just kind of changes motivations on a whim. I can't believe this. I do want to piggyback on what you're saying though, Laura, because like part of the reason the first 20 minutes to a half an hour of this film doesn't work for me is like Gordon's big dick energy that he's got at the beginning feels completely sort of unmotivated this like yeah okay so you won 30 cases it's I mean I I guess that's impressive I don't really know your your secretary hates you everyone that that works for you hates you I don't even really know what cases you're really winning because like the, the case that opens the movie barely feels like a case. I'm not even really sure who he's defending or what's going on there. So, and then on top of that, when he meets the kids for the first time, I did like the bit where they thought he was a drug dealer or a mobster. <laughs> that made me laugh. But then he drives his car on the ice, which is move. just dumb. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And dangerous. And then, he dri- and then he drives a bunch of children in said car on the ice. So, I mean, I think that... I think that uh, uh, Joshua Jackson's mom, I forget his kid, the kid's name now, Charlie's mom is justified in saying, why are you driving these children on ice? That's a, that's a bad idea. You seem like an idiot. So I just, I'm really just not on this guy's side. And then when he starts coaching the team and his big, like, you know, light bulb moment is to have them basically fake injuries and cheat. (laughs) (laughs) This guy sucks. Like I'm just not on this guy's side. And I, I I know that maybe that's the point, but it it just doesn't it doesn't work. Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to be yeah. on his and side then t- for a lot of it, for a long time, like halfway through. No, like a third of the way through. He the arc changes when he meets Hans again, and Hans okay. sort of convinces him to. Okay. Yeah, and Hans Teach like they do fly. like a walk down memory lane and all of that. Yeah. But okay. but I and and I also would argue too that the casting of Emilio Estevez is immediately saying like you should be on this guy's side mm-hmm. even for the first half hour. Like mm-hmm. they want you to like this guy because he's Emilio Estevez yeah. even if he's being a schmuck. But then like, you know, Emily's husband Riley uh needs <laughs> to let him. go of his one fucking loss, his one peewee final loss that happened like 15 years ago. Yeah. Like move on. He what, can't what, move what, on. It's you... still on the wall. It is. They still won't on take the wall. it down. Yeah. Second place. It's <laughs> it's humiliating. Um, Hans is played by an actor, uh, Joss Auckland, who will always be the villain from Lethal Weapon Two. To me, I didn't know that he was in this movie, but like second this... build. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second build and. He's hockey. Listen, I got. I just got to break in here. I grew up. I grew up in in South Dakota, and so the Twin Cities were like like the place you went when you wanted to go somewhere a little bit bigger than Sioux Falls, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to. Who hasn't wanted to go somewhere a little bit bigger than Sioux Falls? Um, The uh, so like this movie was like intense, like memories because i was in minneapolis a lot in that period so there's intense memories of what it was like there there's the skyline there's that mall which is not the mall of america but is it is the nicolette mall mall of america features in the second and third films but like hans's uh sports shop appears to be in i i don't know this for sure i didn't actually confirm but it appears to be in like the factory district of saint paul it looks like it's in an old abandoned bread factory or something and so as you walk up to it the camera like pans up it's the world's largest sports shop. It's like it's like Hans is hockey Santa. Yeah. Like he lives in this like weird workshop where all he does is just sit there and make things for children and then like dispense sage advice. And then like there's a scene where they go shopping there and he rings up the bill and it goes from sixty dollars to over seven thousand dollars. <laughs> and fast. you're like, what? What did? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the shopping the, the the sports memorabilia, the sports store sequence is great. I liked it. Um it it was fun. Um I liked Gordon's early morning skating scene by himself, like, you know, at dusk or dawn that is, and he's like skating like that sort of stuff. There's like there's oddly like a weird lack of reference for the sport. So you don't really feel like a love for it, and that also hurts not just the movie as a whole, but like Gordon's character in terms of us believing or buying into the end of this film in any real way. Um, 
so we also have sort of this ragtag group of kids. Charlie is kind of the one that has the, the, the biggest arc. He's the one who, you know, sort of um, becomes sort of a, a son figure to, to Gordon and Gordon uh, has the hots for his mom basically. And Charlie senses that. So Charlie like helps him bag his mom, which I think is weird. Um, do you guys have thoughts on, on this, this, parent trap-esque thing <laughs> uh laura i i did think it was a little bit strange how in how excited and insistent he was um but then again she herself says that it's mm-hmm. charlie who's falling in love with his coach uh and so there is a kind of you know um paternal love happening there and so Absolutely. i can sort of see why he would it's not just like i don't know he's got some weird thing where he needs his mom to be in a relationship, but that he like really does kind of love Gordon in yeah. a way. I don't know. And it's, I think he picked it's, his dad. And so he's like, if you're going to be my dad, you should meet my mom. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I also think it's kind of interesting that like he, that they set up that. And I thought it's nice that they set up that parallel between Charlie and Gordon and, and that they have that scene. I think it's maybe he's dropping him off after practice or something and they they have that nice exchange where they where they talk about that they lost each lost their fathers and mm-hmm. yeah that did actually feel um you know it's yeah. it's not this is not a very overall a very successful movie in in a lot of regards but that part i think was really was quite nice and then but then it is a little bit strange and laura noted this i think we get like a, a shot from the window and they're like wrestling something or something. And Laura was like, what was the word she used? She was like, male bonding is weird. Male bonding is weird. <laughs> that was Laura's, Laura's word. I, I thought the same thing, Laura, in the sense that it was... It, this movie sort of picks odd moments to highlight things. And it feels like there's just not a lot of real estate. So they just kind of shoehorn these moments in whenever they can. And this idea of a mom watching her son wrestle with a grown man on their front porch or front lawn or whatever. It's a little odd, but I'll also say too, like the mom who's, I mean, forgive me. I'm not sure what her actual uh, Casey, Casey Conway, I believe is her name. um, Doesn't really get much to do. She just kind of smiles and cheers from the stands most of the time. And, you know, she goes on a date with, gordon once and says like you know don't fuck with my heart if you don't mean it because it's not cool and i have a kid and he really likes you and again all this stuff is none of this is bad like i don't i don't really have a problem with like the fundamentals of this stuff it's really more in the execution um but the but the other group of the other kids that we have on this team and there are a lot of them um i'm not going to name them all the ones that are given any sort of story you have uh, Goldberg, who is the goalie, who's afraid of getting hit by a puck for the first like half hour of this movie I until they that a lot. literally crucify him on a <laughs> on a net and just pelt him with pucks. Uh, so he realizes that they don't hurt. Well, can, can I say something on that? So, so he, there, I agree that that is very strange. But he went from having what phone books taped to him and the inquirer taped to his knees to having real pets. So, so like there is this thing where he might 
not realize that I the also pads don't are think effective. it's strange. Oh. You know, well, I mean, maybe Sorry, he like ahead. strange that he like opted into being on a sports team. But I remember when we did field hockey at high in high in middle school because we had sure. to like do all the sports. I just spent the entire time running around just hoping I didn't get hit by that ball. Those things hurt. No, for and sure, it's oh, yeah. stupid for sure. But it's when you stupid when, to like want to have a ball be hit, yes, hitting. But you. when you have the pads, okay. So I've played <laughs> a little bit of goalie in my in my life. Sure. When you're decked out in pads and a puck comes at you full speed and bounces off and you feel nothing, you do yeah. kind of feel superhuman. And I think you do have to have that initial get hit with a puck in the in your face. You're wearing a mask and stuff. And it doesn't sure. do anything to where you realize like, oh, I can do this and not be afraid of it. Anyway, I agree. But to, but it's, to Laura's it's point, like mean, but I think yeah. to Laura's point, field hockey, lacrosse, what have you, that ball is basically a stone. Right. Like it, it, it has it is solid rubber, um, not to say that a puck coming at you at, a, at, you know, 80 miles an hour isn't scary and whatever. But like the padding for lacrosse and field hockey is not even remotely close to the padding that's necessary in order for you not to feel this, you know, fist like stone that's being <laughs> you know, uh, thrown at you. But Goldberg has his moment where he's, you know, he gets over his fear. Uh, Fulton Reed is this i don't even really know like a burnout kid who can hit the puck real hard is that i mean yeah he's like is, a am big, i wrong he's in just that like the kid that hit puberty two years before everyone else mm-hmm. uh, he looks 25 yeah <laughs> um but i i didn't love the fact that like gordon discovers he can hit the puck real hard because he hits a puck at his window of his van it's it's not great. It's not How great. else are you going to introduce a character who can hit a puck real hard? Again, this is just basic fucking Aristotle story. <laughs> <rock>. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Then we have Emily's avatar. Mm. Um, Connie Moreau. Uh, Connie. <laughs> wow. Do you want to talk hey, about Connie for a bit? Yeah, <laughs> listen, I got to put five minutes on the clock because it's time for our <laughs> recurring. It. It's time for our recurring segments. Emily St. James and Laura Koo talk about Connie Moreau from the film <laughs> The Mighty Ducks for five minutes and how she has some amazing outfits. So hold on, oh let me my make gosh. sure the clock. Yeah, did here. you like do screenshots or like how did you? Because when you texted me about about her <laughs> J.C. Penny catalog outfits, I was like, okay, yeah, yes, I'm thinking about yeah. cats. Yeah. Where's my yeah. dang phone? So there's a like I'm 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 a trans woman and I transitioned as an adult and I every so often will watch a piece of media I saw as a child and it's like I will find a little note pinned to a billboard in my brain that's like from my younger self that's like hey pay attention to this this is cool so like like fucking 12 year old me Whoever, however old I was when I saw this movie in music class, like had a thing that was like, you should dress exactly like Connie in the Mighty Ducks. And so I pulled it down and I was like, interesting, interesting. So like, I just, I had this intense sense memory, both of being that age, but also of like dressing like a JCPenney catalog model, which never happened. I never actually did that, but I like had an intense sense memory of being Connie Moreau, a person that I am not and never have been. And just like (laughs) her looks in this movie are just so early Mm nineties, you know, girl who's, you know, a young adolescent and maybe like trying to dress a little bit older than she is, but also her parents are like pulling her back. 
everything she wears absolutely looks like just like it was like the costume designer flipped open to a page of a jc penny catalog and was like that that's what connie's gonna wear laura i'm wondering if you have thoughts on connie moreau and her outfits and also if women should play hockey i'm not sure <laughs> I'm gonna pass on the women should women play hockey part, but I do like when Tammy does her little like sw- you know when she like is on her figure skates and does her little twirl, and yeah. they somehow make a shot, and and Riley's just like, okay, that wasn't yeah. hockey. They cut to Riley, okay. and he's rolling his eyes. <laughs> like fine, but that wasn't <laughs> hockey, and <laughs> like he's not wrong. But oh my gosh, Connie is so beautiful. I know. I, I think the moment where I was like connecting the same way you felt um, Emily about about her clothes was the detention scene where everybody is looking yes. phenomenal yes. by the way yes. mm-hmm. um Charlie's got a plaid hat that's a different plaid than his plaid shirt um yes. yeah. and it's very high it's it's, it's like it's yeah it's very, a weird shape a I couldn't figure hat. out I was like is that a backwards baseball hat or is that just like it goes like it's just like hugs his head or like what's the deal there but Connie <laughs> I think also the dangly earrings. I remember being that age and being like, so now that I'm in sixth grade, I wear dangly earrings. Yes. Because I'm, I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think it needs to be said um, that all of the kids are writing, I will not quack at the principal <laughs> on the board. <laughs> I like the scene where somebody just goes quack, 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 yeah. quack. I think, yeah, it's, it's Bombay. Um, listen, uh, we still have several minutes on the oh, clock. Go, go, yeah, we're no, still I know. I'm, just, I'm trying this. to like pull up the image of Connie and that it, how phenomenal she looks. She's wearing a headband. She's wearing yeah, a headband. She's got like a yellow plaid skirt. It's mm-hmm. so good. Like a yellow striped skirt, I guess is a better way to put it. And like, I don't know, like there is this like just intense sense of like, I mean, there's a melancholy to this movie for me almost entirely because of Connie Moreau. Mm-hmm. But she very much was like the kind of girl I wanted to be and also like the kind of girl that like was allowed, but also the kind of girl that was allowed to be in movies like this. Yeah. So there is like kind of this melancholy in two directions, which is like I was not allowed to be that girl, but also like the view of what a girl could be in a movie made in 1992 as we're learning from doing this podcast was so limited, mm-hmm. you know, and like Connie falls into the, she's kind of a tomboy, but also by the end of the movie, she needs to be holding hands with Guy. And honestly, she should help her. Charlie, Charlie is much more of a dreamboat. And I feel like they would have been a cute couple. That's just one of those things. I think, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I also think it, it should be said that mm-hmm. one of my good friends is good friends with Marguerite Moreau. So I think we might have to, Bring her on the pod. Yeah, why Emily is and, uh, why are her. these dinguses here talking about marks and you didn't get Connie on the podcast? Well, because I mean, we could we could do like maybe a little interview and tack it on to the end of this episode, Emily. Oh my god! Yes. let's see if yes. that's possible. And then we should see if she wants to talk about Beethoven. And can you also <laughs> is ask she her Beethoven as well in '92? Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I don't think I, also, I don't think she's in I don't think she's in Beethoven. I just feel like she has a lot of lot of I'm sure she has thoughts. I, I, I what I also kind of love, and I don't quite know why this happened, but why is Connie's last name the same as Marguerite's last name? Like I don't quite they're just like, I mean, Moreau's just such a good name. We just we should just keep it. Like I I it's it is an odd choice. You know but, how sometimes you know how sometimes there is like uh, a a person who, um, you know, you like cast a Phil to play a Phil in a movie or whatever. Sure, That's sure, just sure. what happened. You cast a Moreau to play a Moreau. That's just <laughs> how it. Just how it happened. 
yeah, that, yeah. that makes sense. That, Hold that makes on. Sense. I'm, I've got this on Disney Plus. We got it. We got to take a look at this outfit. For okay. A thank I'm you so gonna, much. Oh, great. Are you going to I'm going to pause it. I'm going to pause it on the moment when it happens so we don't thank violate you. copyright law here on the, on the Patreon. <laughs> thank you so um, much. Oh, there I we go. Okay. That. This is not the world's greatest screenshot, but we just got it. We got to appreciate okay. this. Host disabled participant screen sharing. <gasps> Oh no! Wow. Um, well, Ernie, can you can you let uh, Emily be the host so she can uh, screen share? Is Ernie listening? Is anyone there? Is anyone? Anyone? No one listens to us on this podcast. Well, listen, I'm just going to describe this outfit. Please. So, well, it's no, kinda... I, okay, hold on. Well, listen, maybe I can. Okay, I, can I think you can actually just send. Just can't you just send it to us in the chat? I'm going to try and do a, a screen cap. Nope. Can't do that. You know what? Because it's on Disney plus. So. Of course. Cause Disney plus won't let us do anything. Yeah. Mm. It's no one wants to let us do anything. <sighs> it's uh, yeah. You can take a picture bad. of it on your phone. Oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm absolutely doing that. Hold okay. On. This is so important. You guys, this is so important. I know Emily, I've been no, just I sitting here Googling Connie mighty ducks detention scene. And it is disappointing how little is coming <laughs> up. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> Disappointing, but not surprising. No, it's surprising. I'm like, how is nobody else thinking about this? I'm going to email this to all of us. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Everybody open up your email. Here we go. This is going to be great. <laughs> Please continue talking about Connie. I do love the fact that uh, our listeners get to go on this journey with us. <laughs> um, yes. So I, I, I guess my question is Connie doesn't really have much of an arc. She's kind of just like, a girl on the hockey team, which is a bit of a bummer. Yeah. And then even when other girls join the team, it doesn't feel like there's a real, you know, feminism to this team. It's kind of a bummer, but I kind of like choice. that. It's not a thing though. I I'm kind of like, there's not ever a moment where the Hawks are like, Ooh, they've got girls on their team. They must suck. Or like that. There's something made of the fact that they're the only team apparently That's that have girls true. in it. I kind of like that. It's just like, yeah, we're a team. There's also a girl here. She plays hockey too. Moving on. Well, I like it. Yeah. There is. Yeah. Okay. I just got the picture. It's uh, a great yeah, outfit. It's, it's a great outfit. It's oh, so good. That's true. So yeah. she's so tights. to describe this for our listeners, um, she's wearing red stockings. Yeah. Did you say red, that? Red, red stockings. Leggings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Red leggings. Sorry. A plaid skirt, and then yeah. kind of a Sergeant Pepper's jacket because yeah. the buttons kind of have a Sergeant Pepper's vibe to it. Um, she looks really cool. <laughs> she looks just so cool. She looks like the the girl that I wanted to be, but also like the girl I wanted to hang out with. Mm-hmm. I do think there is something sort of funny too about the fact that because they're in detention, they're all dressed like a little edgier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, the the arc of the ducks is that they're all like uh you know they're all just a little bit bad until they're good. Mm-hmm. Libby contributes that she looks like she could have been in the Babysitters Club. Laura, I'm just gonna say yeah. I've always wanted to be your friend because you remind me a little of Connie Moreau. I think that's what this <gasps> is. I think. Oh my god! Oh, that's a really sweet thing. That to was say. That's so really beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. That was very very sweet I, of you. I that's a wonderful comment. Also, I love Babysitters Club. <laughs> Yeah, I read so many of those. When does the fucking Babysitters Club movie come out, Phil? We got to talk about that. Uh, oh, probably yeah. not That's this year. I mean, when was that? I watched that on a few Club sleepovers. Movie? Yeah. When was that? Uh, Ninety-five, Emily. So mm. we'll get to talk 95. about that. Ninety-five. Libby, Libby was there immediately. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I think it's worth noting as well. Not to not to think too hard about this movie because, um, you know, we shouldn't. But, uh. 
We've already given it a Marxist reading. Phil. We have given it a Marxist read. Um, I do think they're all kind of dressed this way because at this point in the movie, they are all against Gordon. Yeah. Because at this point, they've heard Gordon shit talk them and be like, they're all fucking losers and they're never going to, they're not going to amount to anything. So they're kind of pissed at him and they're in detention, which is why they're all kind of dressed like the sex pistols. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that there's something something to that as well. But yeah. I mean, listen, take that for what it's worth. Yeah, but, I mean, they're also um, they're, they're also yeah. like you know they're they're supposed to be po- they're coded as both ethnically diverse and poor. That's true. And so I and I think like they you know we meet them and they're I don't know what they're 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 playing some prank on on. They're putting poo poo in a purse. Putting, they're doing poo poo in the purse, you, Frank. How did you um, not remember? That? Classic poo poo in well, the purse, Frank. Fast forward, remember? <laughs> uh, and yeah, and and I think that so. But then there's this nice, like, you know, contrast to the Hawks, who are these Aryan rich cake eater kids. And by the way, I will say the the so there's the three Hawks that get highlighted. There's Banks, and then like the two other ones and the one who ends up taking out banks that guy to me looks like he should be in a michael hanukkah film yeah right like he looks yes. like he should be showing up at your door with a with a with a golf, with club. A golf club yeah, yeah. <laughs> i feel like that that is he looks exactly like that anyway but um yeah and i feel like they it's just this real you know they're they're setting it up to be this like i don't know um david and goliath kind of thing and of course who are you gonna who are you gonna root for i mean i'm rooting for riley and the hawks because i want them to go 30 and 0 so oh i thought you because you also think yeah. that riley's really hot and you want to marry him no but i well i think as i've said before i think riley he is he's at least being honest with his kids about how what capitalism what their life is going to be like outside of hockey which will be win it's or not die. Worth winning if you can't win big. Exactly. And Gordon Bombay is trying to sugarcoat this and mm-hmm. giving them, feeding them a false, you know, false tale. Justin's always telling our son that, you know, that like if it's not worth winning, if you can't <laughs> win big, and then he hits him on the top of the head with, well, a, with well, a hockey to stick. Well, to be fair, to be fair, Laura's not joking. Like we play Mario Kart a lot, and oh my god, it is all win, 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 win in this household. We are always like talking about who's going to win, who's better at Mario Kart. And yeah, so and it's going. I thought it was all tenant in your household. That was what I. It, it is tenant too, for sure. But uh, but you now know, it's a lot more. A lot of Mario Kart, yeah. When you get far enough in Mario Kart, you run all the courses backwards, so they actually are kind of the same thing. Yeah, you could do the mirror courses, you could do oh the God. inverted courses, and actually, I simply <laughs> refuse to allow this to descend into a Mario Kart tenant. You want to come on? A, I t- I found out that Mar- the original Mario Kart came out in 1992, sure. and I want to do an episode, so I think we all have to do the Mario yeah. Kart. You, Let's do a Mario Kart episode. Do on the movie. Like you could do no. the new movie and consider it a ninety two. No, Emily's like absolutely not. <laughs> Wait, when did the Super Mario Brothers movie? Come I don't out? know when. Ninety three. Oh, there's oh, a ninety three so movie. Okay, because there's one coming. We could have just done Mario Kart and Super Mario Brothers. That would have been great. Anyway, um, so <laughs> you I say wanted... Mario like you're from the Commonwealth, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> is it not? Oh, did I say Mario? Yeah. No, Mar- that is how people from like like countries that are formerly part of the British Empire, say Mario. And I don't know why that is. I don't think it's really that way in the U.S. for whatever reason. We say Mario and everyone else says well, Mario, and they're both accurate. His name but is, I also say, I say clique and niche as well. So Yeah, but oh, his wow. name is also Mario Lemieux. Talking about hockey players named Mario, not Mario yeah. Lemieux. So it could also be, and I don't mm. know. It could be a French-Canadian French thing, Canadian. too. Yeah. Okay. 
The worst thing about the mall scene is that they don't give Connie a good outfit. You can't really, or they never like really focus on it. I, just I love feel that like, you are. I'm scrubbing through the movie, scrubbing through the movie, looking for <laughs> for outfits of Connie. Um, if I so okay, so if we have Marguerite on the show and I just show up wearing that outfit, because that's a incredible. like that is a does I could pull that off. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Think, Oh my yeah. god! I I'm literally going as soon as we get off here. I'm texting my friend and I'm like, "So can we get Marguerite on here to talk about the Mighty Ducks?" I'm sure she'd be like, "Yeah, like sure." Um, a couple of things I wanted to point out: uh, Gordon quacking his way out of Ducksworth's office is pretty insane, and maybe grounds for firing just that alone. <laughs> Super normal. normal <laughs> so thing to I do. mean, I get that. Um, <laughs> we talked a little bit about the um, the the date with the mom. I really like the scene with Joshua Jackson in the diner where he's basically like, you made us, you can't ditch us now. Um, which obviously is, you know, not subtle subtext about his, his daddy issues, but still like Joshua Jackson's really good in this movie. I know. And I, you know, I, I think he's, you know, when he gets a little teary eyed and he's, and I, I don't know, he's really good in this. I, I, I genuinely, and, and I got to say as much as I knew he was going to score the goal at the end, I just, there were two moments, and again, I'm a sucker for a sports movie. I know you're not, Laura, so I apologize for this in advance. But when they scored a goal for the first time, kind of got goosebumps. Kind of was like, fuck yeah, you guys finally scored a goal. Like, I, it, it, it works. I, I would actually argue that moment worked better for me than the end of the movie did. Because, like, the end feels so destined and, you know what I mean? Like, but... I don't know. I love I love camaraderie and people, you know, a team working towards a common goal and all that. So anyway. Well, you know who Sorry, else love? Look at this I scarf. I'm emailing you all. Okay, okay we're, we're getting, getting this scarf. scarf. But you know, we're we're getting another, you know who uh, else loved the, first, something important the first goal? It yes. was, I'm going to get the name. Okay, get it the deets. Was, I wrote it down. Anyway, but remember those interstitial little hockey, let's yes. play hockey, yes. America's yes. number one hockey publication costs one dollar. Uh, so yes, um, Larry Bach, big fan. Uh, well, there were a couple different writers, but Larry Bach was a big fan. He apparently arrived at the stadium a full half hour early. Yeah. Um, committed to his job committed really yeah well that's what it said in the article article. if you pause and read the article um the the title of well so the first title was uh i don't didn't write it down but anyway the second one was duck makes ducks make the playoffs fulton reads herculean last second goal rips the net and propels ducks to win a mouthful. Yeah. yeah, it's a mouthful. I love that they're A1. But, I love that they're consistently on the front page yes. of this hockey publication. <laughs> it's a, national a national hockey, hockey publication, publication yes. apparently. Is that the one that opened with a quote from John Madden? Uh, maybe one of them does. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. So I'm looking at this scarf. It's such a good scarf. Oh, it's a good video. scarf. Oh my goodness. Um, I would argue it's a better scarf than the mom's outfit. Yeah. I kind of like her hat, though. mom is just phoning it in. The hat's good. I like Casey's hat. That features in a couple scenes, and I like Casey's hat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But Margaret, I mean, like, look, I mean, Connie is just styling circles around her. It's true. She's (laughs) doubling up on that plat. Do you think she's, like, do you think the scarf is, like, an infinity scarf? Is she, like, tying it in a cool way? What's (laughs) happening here? She really likes plaid. Do we think she's Irish or Scottish? (laughs) I think she's from the 1992 is what she is. (laughs) The thing is, I have scrubbed through this movie just paying attention to her outfits, which 
And like her arc is she goes from not stylish at all to very stylish, mm. seemingly abruptly. And mm. like, it's just because she's so like, you know what my, you know what my color is? It's plaid. And so she just wears plaid all the time. But suddenly you're like, well, that really works for her. Would it work for me? And I think, yes, it would work for me. I think it would. Yeah. Yes. It would absolutely work for you. Um, so, I, I mean, as we wrap this up, because I'm curious to get your thoughts, Justin and Laura, on the film that we are covering next week. Excuse um, me. Um, Excuse me. We can't wrap up. I haven't said anything about fucking Coach Riley, who is Captain <laughs> Ahab reimagined as a youth hockey coach. My favorite character in this movie. A- after Connie, obviously, the greatest character in the history of cinema. The best dressed character in the history of cinema. Um, coach Riley. I, I wasn't trying to, you know. Played by Lane Smith. I just adore how evil he is Mm. the movie does not shy away from this man is an evil man and he gets joy out of crushing children's dreams and he particularly gets joy out of crushing gordon bombay's dreams to the degree that he shows up i i was gonna write like a screenplay and have one of you perform it with me of me being married to to coach riley and i forgot to do that (laughs) but i just imagine him like sitting up in bed at night just like fingers tightly just clenched in fists and just being like bombay bombay that's where it all went wrong that's when everything started to go wrong and it's like 3 30 in the morning and i'm like i know honey gordon bombay is like really fucking bad you know he really just can we just go to sleep he's like i gotta crush those ducks and i'm like okay i you i have your back 100 percent. and he's just like from hell's heart i stab at thee but it's like about a fucking jv hockey team yeah. anyway coach riley great character movie should have been about him and connie and they form like an unlikely friendship and mm-hmm. like mentor uh skater relationship but also they just like want to crush people <laughs> i feel like you need to write a disney plus prequel series about coach riley i don't know why you haven't done that yet uh coach riley a mighty duck story <laughs> <laughs> When you're describing that scene, which I do hope you write up later and then maybe yeah. send to me, um, I was also imagining that Coach Riley's in like his jammies, but his collar is popped. Yeah. You know, like yeah. he's always yeah. like Bombay and then he's like got that collar like way up there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then you cut yeah. to like Gordon Bombay's apartment. He's just sleeping very nicely, very sweetly next to Charlie's mom. And then you cut back and like, like fucking Riley's like got sweat dripping down his brow. And he's like, I need to get out of this house sometime. <laughs> and then I'm like, you're under house arrest for having threatened those children. He's like, I know. Help me cut the bracelet off. Emily, is in since you've been working on the script, I mean, no one is a like you cannot have as your job peewee hockey coach so he has to have some other job what is his job um he uh he uh is the coach of the minnesota north star (laughs) it feels like he's like like a local bus driver or i like that like a post office it feels like he he's doing some sort of a low level kind of government-esque job it seems like he lives in Dinah, so he's probably like a richie rich in some way so he probably oh, you know what yeah. i wonder i wonder if he's like a fucking nepo baby you know like he's <laughs> like he like waltzed his way into this because he comes from old money he comes from old minnesota money he's got all the money he could ever use his like actual job is you know just being rich and so like his passion 
He's like, you know how sometimes like you'll be like, how is that person living as an artist? And you're like, oh, they're the heir to the, you know, Nabisco fortune. I think that this guy, like his true passion is crushing children's dreams (laughs) and it's good that he's rich. Anyway, I think we're back to the Marxist reading of the film. I have a a proposal. So maybe he's Hans's prodigal son. So then that makes oh, him and Bombay kind of like, you know, brother, not father, father, son, but like more like brother figures. That's my favorite, by the way, of the interstitial uh, of the interstitial newspapers. It's just like the one oh, where the they're two the faces. two face, the face, face off, off. Yeah. the face off of Bombay and it's Riley. Incredible. <laughs> that, that's my favorite. <laughs> Unquestionable. It looks like a Star Wars movie. <laughs> know how like Breaking Bad and then a bunch of other TV shows did this? They would have the cold open that kind of had nothing to do with the episode or was mm-hmm. like an oblique preview of what was to come. Yep. Yeah. The second I sell a television show, all the cold opens are going to be about Coach Riley from Mighty Ducks and like his history. <laughs> and it's just going to be like, and then the actual show will be about something else. But like, I'm going to be like, we're going to just flesh this out. We're yeah. going to build out this or mythology. Like season one and two of Manhunter, where like, of, uh, yes. of Mindhunter, excuse Mindhunter. me, not, my, not Manhunter, <laughs> Mindhunter, where we're like, are we ever going to get to this BTK thing? Guess not. Guess no. not. <laughs> we're, we're actually never going to. <laughs> just never. So thanks for hanging um, in. <laughs> so on this podcast, we, we rate films for zero to 99, 99 being a, a, a reference to the previous podcast, podcast, like it's 1999. So we do, a, we, we rate this um, from zero to 99, uh, a rating before the podcast and a rating after the podcast. So like what you thought of this film before, and then whether or not this conversation might've altered or changed your opinion on this film. So I will go first, as I mentioned, didn't really see it in 92, didn't really remember it. So coming into this podcast, I was maybe a little too generous. I came in at 72 out of 99. I felt like it was a, you know, a solid B plus movie that I was like, okay with. But this conversation has it going down a little bit. I'm now at a 68. That's where I'm at on the Mighty Ducks. Emily, what about you? I think that I need to acknowledge that when I I saw this film, when it was relatively recent, and when I was that age, I gave everything a 99 or a zero, and I gave this a 99, though for reasons I didn't entirely understand, you know, obviously, Mm -hmm. I found the note in my brain and figured it out, Um, but I just now was like... I'm going to average, I'm going to average this movie out. I think just as like a raw movie, just like, Mm -hmm. like script, direction, acting, cinematography, music, all of that, it's like a 40. When you take into account that Connie's outfits are fantastic, (laughs) I'm giving that a 99. And then when you take into account that Coach Riley is inexplicably one of like the greatest characters in children's cinema, I'm giving him a 50, though, because he makes no sense. So that adds up to 189, which I'm dividing by three. And I get a 63, which I think is more generous than I want to give it. But also those outfits are great. Coach Riley's an amazing character, and uh, Lane Smith should have won an Oscar over um, Gene Hackman in Unforgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Justin, do you, where, where do you fall on the Mighty Ducks? Uh, so, okay, so here's what here's how I would do it. First of all, I mm-hmm. don't know, I don't normally rate on this ranking scale. So, sure, but I do grade students' papers, and on yes. a, a ninety is a is an A, an eighty would be, you know be. So, mm-hmm. if I'm thinking like A, B, C, D, and then like below. 59 is an F. Uh, 
I don't want to give yeah. this an F, you know, right? So I'm, I'm going to kind of curve, curve. Okay. But my thinking is like when I was a kid, I was, this was a hundred percent an A movie for me. So this was in the 90 right. range as when I was a kid. Sure. When I rewatched it, you know, a week ago or whatever, when we rewatched it, uh, it, it had definitely fallen. It was like a C, <laughs> a C movie for me. And now it's, I mean, yeah, because, you know, if I fast forward a lot of the, stupid stuff then maybe it's an 80 or something and now i think after this conversation it would be uh yeah like a like a c plus b minus i I feel like that's where where it is for me i think it's fun but it's not a movie i want to rewatch anytime soon okay yeah i like parts of it though for sure um laura i first watched this movie like in 2012 or something you with you okay. justin i didn't i missed it like completely when i was a kid i don't you okay. know i don't know i was, I was watching not this um and uh, and i just didn't have any connection to hockey so um i think i knew about the sequels more than i knew about the first one anyway so sure. i was like i don't know when we first watched it i was like 40 i was like okay good for you justin i don't know i'm happy for you that you <laughs> like this movie it's not my movie I don't know how I missed Connie, but I did. But now, like, I didn't know it's a mar- like I didn't read it through the Marxist lens. Yeah, you know, yeah. so I, I was missing so much. Yeah. So I feel like I really have to think about it. But now I'm like closer to like a sixty-five, seventy. Like, is that really high? I don't know. I'm no, a big, listen. I'm a Those big outfits. softie now. I, th- I feel like we're all in the same ballpark of like mid 60s feels like that's the right reading of this movie I fe- it feels like it feels like we all know this movie is bad but also we don't want to like tell that to the mighty ducks so we're kind of like soft peddling it i don't want like, to tell the mighty like- ducks i don't want to tell to emilio either one thing i really like about emilio is like i feel mm-hmm. like he's like the master of like a, a soft-spoken delivery True. You know, when he like whispers to Coach Riley, I've wasted so many years. I'm just like, oh, it, get, it gets me. It gets me. I like Emilio in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Both lot. of these guys. I don't, I don't want to hurt Emilio's really feelings. <laughs> Riley and Gordon need to go to therapy. Like they really need oh, yeah. to talk this shit out. Um, I don't feel like they're really dealing. Um, it, it, it feels, uh, it's unfortunate. So next week, Emily, um, this is a movie that I, I'm sure you didn't know we were covering, but it's coming up. (laughs) Um, we are doing Encino Man. Oh God. (laughs) So, uh, we have, um, Bart Nickerson coming on to talk about Encino Man, um, along with, uh, Carrie Gologly. Bart is one of the co-creators of yellow jackets and uh, carrie Gologly is an executive over at amc both just gnawing at the bit to talk about encino man the, a movie that got a big kind of spotlight on it a few weeks ago when two cast members won academy awards uh in the form of brendan fraser and obviously um uh key from um key kwan from everything everywhere all at once justin laura Thoughts on Encino Man? We, we've covered it on our podcast, Cows in the Field. Really? We did a yeah. Brendan Fraser um, mini, like sort of mini thing. We did Encino Man, George of the Jungle, and the Mummy. Mummy wanted to. And, yeah. Um, I, we, we missed love- out on a highlight, though. Which was? Dudley Do Right is a straight up masterpiece, guys. And I am That's not even kidding. That's what we should have done. I've yeah. never seen George of the Jungle sucks. We had nothing to say about George in the Jungle. That yeah. one was a, I mean, we had fun. But Encino Man, I do, I kind of actually have a very, I have a soft spot for Encino Man. I, I do like it. I think it holds up more than Mighty Ducks, 
personally. Uh, and Interesting. Okay. I think that, also a touchstone movie. If yeah, I'm not I think Disney it's. Movie. I think it's fun, and, and I think there's. Um, I'm trying to remember what 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 we said about it. I mean, now, I think but. you. Th- I thought that the movie was going to be like all about how Sean Astin's characters lamenting that women like want like cavemen, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Sean Astin is the worst in this movie. Yeah. I think like it's sort of amazing how like unlikable that protagonist is. It is a movie, Emily. To, to, so, so you know your view about Tenet. It, it is a movie about the difficulties and complexities yeah. of male friendship. Like I, I think it really is that, and and I think that it, you know, and Fraser as this kind of like I think it's like an iconic Fraser role because he's this it sort is. of like super meathead guy and he but he's also that that has that kind of good natured like he's like just like a fundamentally decent he makes everybody positive better. person yeah exactly and um and really the 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 sean Aston character is in a weird way the villain who then you know f- is redeemed by um encino man's sort of like christ-like nature well, it's it's interesting that you because like obviously Emily, when we talk about Encino Man, a movie that you've obviously seen a half dozen times, I'm assuming at I this mean, point. Yeah, that's <laughs> I watch it every night before bed. <laughs> it's it's a real comfort thing for me. I can't so fall is, asleep. Yeah, it is essentially Brendan Fraser's first role, right? Like he's mm-hmm. got a bit part in a movie in '91, but like Encino Man. And School Ties, both films we will be talking about on this podcast, both come out in 92. Uh, and he's the lead in both of those films. Like, it's mm. a real kind of like, holy shit, did we discover, you know, the next big star? And, you know, he's in things for a while, obviously, but, you know, with honors and airheads where he's part of an ensemble. Um, but really, like, it's not till The Mummy. I mean, I guess George of the Jungle is first, but like George of the Jungle into The Mummy, that's when he like really kind of becomes yeah. who everyone kind of associates him. That's when my high school girlfriend, Jill, was like, yeah, this guy's super hot. I was yeah. like, he is, but I'm not going to say that out loud. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you joke, Emily, I'm, about watching Encina Man, but I think I did watch The Mummy like every night before bed in a certain time of my life. The Mummy? Quietly one of great. the most bisexual movies ever made. It's just an amazing movie in They're terms both of like so yeah. beautiful in that movie. It's so thing. beautiful. That and Last of the Mohicans, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've talked about uh, Listen, on a previous episode. Phil, before we before we yes. before we end the show, yeah, please. Yeah. I have through throughout this, I've been collaborating with ChatGPT on oh on sweet, film, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, yes. on a film about a team of young podcasters who uh, come together under the coach uh, the the tutelage of their coach Mike, a former mm-hmm. shock jock from the New York area who has a thick New York accent and was fired for making an offensive comment and has to move back to his Indiana hometown. Don't know how he has the New York accent if he's from Indiana, but that doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, uh, Mike, uh, there's a there's a woman who hosts. Uh, a podcast about like podcasts and she comes sure. to make a show about this and her name's Sarah and Mike and Sarah fall in love and the last scene is set at their wedding. There's two other characters uh, that were added. Uh, Tony, the bus driver, who's the comic relief and a witch. And um, the, uh, the, I asked chat GPT to write a scene between Tony, the bus driver and the witch. And this is that scene. It's in its entirety. Uh, here it is. The podcasting team is feeling stressed and overwhelmed as the big championship competition draws near. They're putting in long hours at the studio and tensions are starting to run high. One day, Tony, the bus driver, comes to pick them up for practice wearing a mischievous grin on his face. Hey, kids, he says, you're in for a little treat today. 
I got to do a Tony voice. Sorry. Sure. As they pile onto the bus, Tony hands each of them a small, mysterious looking bag. What's in these? Asks Lily, eyeing the bag warily. She's like the creative genius. Just a little something to help you relax, Tony replies with a wink. The team members open their bags to find a strange glowing powder inside. They exchange uncertain glances, but before they can ask any questions, the witch suddenly appears right in the front of the bus. Tony, my dear, she says with a sly smile. I do believe it's time for a little fun. The witch whispers something to Tony, and the two of them cackle conspiratorially. As the bus pulls up to the studio, the team members start to feel a strange tingling sensation in their fingers and toes. They look at each other in confusion, wondering what's going on. Suddenly, they all start to shrink, smaller and smaller, until they're the size of toy figurines. They look up to see the witch and Tony grinning down at them, both towering over them like giants. Welcome to the land of the tiny, the witch says with a chuckle. I do believe you'll find things quite different down here. The team members spend the next few hours exploring the studio from a new perspective, discovering strange nooks and crannies they never noticed before. They also have to work together to solve a series of miniature challenges, like crossing a puddle, a puddle in a podcast studio on a leaf boat, and finding their way through a maze made of pencil shavings. Eventually, the witch and Tony reverse the spell, and the team members return to their normal size. They're all laughing and joking, feeling more relaxed and energized than they have in weeks. Thanks, Tony and witch ladies, says Lily, grinning from ear to ear. That was the best day ever. The witch and Tony exchange a wink and a nod, both clearly pleased with themselves. Anytime kids tony says just remember never underestimate the power of a little bit of magic anyway that's that's a whole episode about the kids becoming tiny can i just say something you yeah. know when you read something like that emily it really does make me understand why the wga is so worried about ai you know because you read that and you're just like well this is obviously the future right like obviously <laughs> um so uh I, I appreciate the reading, Emily, and maybe more so than anything, Justin and Laura, thank you so, so much thank for coming you. on the pod. Um, where can people find you? How can people listen to your podcast? Tell us everything. Well, first of all, thanks for having us. We're honored to be here, and it was, <laughs> it was a blast to talk to you guys. Um, the podcast is called Cows in the Field, and it's a podcast about philosophy and film, and basically... Uh, it's a lot of Marxist analysis and then people talk, like Laura talking about scrunchies and things like that. Um, we, uh, we are at cows pod on Twitter, so you can follow us there and, um, yeah. And you can get the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Legitimately one of my favorite film podcasts, both to listen to and to be on. Um, you, you, what did you, you go are, on for, Emily? What, what did you I have for? been on for um, Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, Midsommar, It's a Wonderful Life, and then I, I was on the the awards episode a little while back. And I I'm gonna I'm trying to finagle my way into talking about Tar. I want to be on there. Oh no, that's on the deck. Can I just say yeah. that's happening, that, Emily? <laughs> Emily, you listing those four episodes the most Emily episodes. Like truly, mm-hmm. I was like, well, Christmas check. I have this thing where I try to be the Christmas guest on like seven different podcasts and it makes my December hell every year. But one of them is Cows in the Field. So I got to think of a Christmas episode this year. We've got some serious Christmas movies in 92, Emily, obviously. Yeah. Uh, You've got Batman Returns, obviously. Mm -hmm. You've got Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. And obviously Muppet Muppet Christmas Carol. I mean, it's we're set. We're set. We're we're set. set. The month of December is set. But yeah. Um. Justin, Laura, thank you so, so much for coming on. Please come back to talk about whatever 1992 films you guys would like to talk about. Um, and, uh, you know, I will, obviously- I will warn you when you come back, we're just going to talk about Connie's outfits. <laughs> I'm not going to even watch the movie. I don't care. I'm just watching Connie's outfits again. 
Um, we'd love to have you back. And and truly, I would love to get philosophical on your pod as well. So hopefully we can find something of course, to, totally. to talk yes, about please. there. I, I, you know, I wouldn't begin to get, you know, Aristotelian and talk about tar or anything like that. But, you know, what, whatever it takes. Well, we should definitely do a movie that's not in a year that you have covered every single movie Absolutely. from. So that will, that, you know, that will narrow it down yes. slightly. But uh, maybe we'll have to go to like 1960 or something. <laughs> Anyway, cheers. Uh, but thank you so, so much. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, listen, everyone should listen to your podcast. Listen to you guys uh, get philosophical about all films. Scrunchies. Is there George any? The jungle. I mean, is it any any movies, any time? Yeah, that, we just that, do what we want to do. We just do whatever we want. There's no, <laughs> <laughs> there's no, we don't have any constraints because we were, we just want to do movies that like we enjoy and want to rewatch. Sure. Um, but yeah, usually, I mean, we started out by doing movies that had philosophical content. So we were doing like Terminator 2 okay. and Minority Report and stuff. But then I was like, Every movie has philosophical content. And then we ran into George of the Jungle and we realized. No. Nope. Actually, to be fair, George <laughs> of the Jungle does have philosophical content because there's a narrator in the film. Oh and gosh. at one point, the narrator actually speaks to the characters and vice versa. And they actually have uh-huh. a conversation. So there is some sort of strange. It's not quite fourth wall breaking. It's like three and a half wall breaking. But that's complicated. I turn, you know, I'm teaching philosophy of film this term. And I. I don't know. I have to say, I do not under- know what is going on in fourth wall breaking. It's actually really complicated, let alone three and a half wall breaking. Yeah, it's so, weird. It's you know, strange. speaking of, of, I think this movie is philosophical. I started rewatching JFK the other day. Very mm-hmm. philosophical. Yeah. And that, that move. Stop talking, Siri. <laughs> um, I said JFK and all of a sudden she came to life. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that movie, I think, is is grappling with some serious uh, philosophical shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oliver Stone is always wrestling with his philosophical demons, it seems. Philosophical so, lines yeah, of coke. Oh, my gosh. One and, day we will have our JFK. massive amounts of cocaine. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Cheers. Thank you so, so much. And we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.